0: Uh What's going on, guys? This is Jordan. Um, Welcome back to Affirmative Interaction. The hands are in full effect. Um, (laughs) We're excited to have you guys here with us. It is another day for another topic, and today we're talking about voting. But before we get into that, we are missing a few people. A few individuals are running late, um, and then just ex- so just expect them to come in uh, when they do. Uh, we are Jordan, myself included, of course. It's me, and then we have Mike, Esther, Adrian, and Logan. If you are watching us for Logan is gone. If you are watching with us from Facebook, from YouTube, feel free to say hello. Tell us where you're watching from. We're so excited that you were able to join us. Um, Mike, I like your t-shirt. I would like to comment on your t-shirt. Where did you get this Uh, one?
1: Yeah. So I think I just, um, it wasn't like a specific like vendor. So shout out to whoever made this. I just wanted to get a good one that had um, it was a more updated version with, you know, the Say Their Names, which sadly, we probably need an updated one every week. Um, but I just got it recently. Um, and, yeah, I really like it. So um, I have to remember what the link is. I can drop it if anybody's interested.
2: Yeah.
1: Good, good.
0: Perfect. So uh, we're not going to spend too much time. Oh, um, wait. Only,
3: only. Okay. No, never mind. Long yeah, long I was share I got Oscar Grant her his mother. I bought this from her. She spoke. If you don't know, you've seen the movie Fruitvale Station. Michael B. Mm-hmm. Jordan. It's yeah. one of the first police shootings ever put on like a phone camera. Her mother spoke at one of the rallies, and she sold this to me. Very nice woman. Very much a woman of God. I just wanted to like shout out to Oscar Grant's mom. She was a blessing. Oh. That, it was a Adventist um, protest a couple weeks ago. But yeah.
1: Hope we can but, do that. Right.
3: Yeah. We had a, a okay. power fist on our shirt, too. I was like, so... It's me. There were no white people there, though, but whatever.
1: <sighs> <laughs> uh, far, but, right.
3: Forever disappointing. <laughs> okay.
0: I, I feel like Logan is, is g- probably going to be the only person to get a spinoff from our show, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to have a ton of very awkward and uncomfortable jokes. Uh, written by Jordan, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's gonna be a good team, yeah. uh, so Garrison. Simone, great to have Here. you. So, since we're talking about t shirts, uh, Garrison, what does your t shirt say? That's says BCU
4: night 2012. This is the year that I was Black Christian Union president mm-hmm. at Southern mm-hmm. Athens University, baby. Actually, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
4: I was surprised. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: 2011, 2012. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good, very good. No Good, no good. <laughs> so yeah. glad you guys are here. Um, and once again, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, hi to Larry and Sandy Feldman. We're so glad that not you guys not. are here once again. Yeah. So without further ado, let's do a brief breakdown on who non voters are. So, guys, you know we've had these kinds of conversations before. I remember. I want to tell a, a quick story. Um, I remember when uh, the primaries happened, and you know everyone voted. Frankly, I was uh, pretty disappointed that Stacey Abrams didn't win, even though I wasn't from that state. I was disappointed. I was disappointed that she didn't win because I was very excited to see her, you know, take on that very important leadership role in, in government. Um, but. I remember I was like, you know what? I was working at Andrews at the time and we have a lot of kids that, students that work in the back with us that help us call, that help us reply to emails. So I just say, you know, let me just go back there and ask if any of them voted. And um, I remember each time I asked them if they are voting, all of them said no. And as each no you know, piled on top of the other, I got increasingly upset and I fired all of them. So I think it's just important for us to identify and really understand who non-voters are. So guys, who, what does a non-voter mean to you? What does that look like?
4: Oh, I think it's probably somewhat, okay, I'll be honest with you. I used to, I, I didn't vote. There's, Mercy. There was a time where I did not vote. And it was because I was told a the, few the things. The
1: BCU president? <laughs>
4: the, My actual, Lord. Actual president <laughs> the actual president. The actual president. So OK, so I I didn't vote because one, I was told as an Adventist that when you vote for someone, you are responsible for everything that they do in office. That's what I was taught That's some Ellen White quote somewhere. Um, and and then the second thing that I was taught was that your vote didn't really matter. So so I think non-voters. I say all that to say I think that non-voters are people who are uninformed about the political process. I, I mean, almost exclusively, they feel like ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really. It's whatever. Um, yeah, that's that's who that's that's who the, the non-voters are to me.
0: Do you guys... Oh, go ahead, Esther. Sorry.
5: No, I was going to say, I feel like I had this impression, and I don't know where I got this from, I guess, like, news media, that non-voters were, like, privileged people that didn't need to vote because they were going to be good, like, no matter what happened. Like, that's that's the picture I had in my mind. Like, you can check out of politics because they're not going to have a direct impact on your life, the way that they might impact other people who are not privileged in the ways that you are. Um, But when I read up on that, I discovered that that doesn't necessarily stack up statistically, like they've actually done studies on this and found that like people who are not voting are disproportionately people of color, disproportionately people of lower um, socioeconomic status. So that forced me to kind of try to re-examine people who don't vote and why they might not be voting instead of just writing it off as you just don't care because it doesn't affect you. Because obviously this does affect those people. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think it it touches on, you know, when we look at like over, you know, about 42% of people didn't vote in 2016, um, I think, you know, this is something that Esther and I were talking about earlier today. I think there is a, a fatigue of, um, like, hearing the same talking points from uh, politicians throughout throughout the decades, or at least that that's how it's perceived, you know? And so when someone, like, you can look at 2008 when someone like Barack Obama a fresh face he does that speech he talks about the dumb war there there was this kind of excitement around this new individual getting into DC that everyone is you know can kind of get on board with um, and you know in a very unfortunate way you you had someone like Donald Trump come in. And he's talking about draining the swamp, right? And so you got a lot of these lower in, income people saying, like, "Yes, finally someone's talking about it." You know, the 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 you know behind the 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 door deals, the the lobbyists who are kind of controlling, you know, what politicians are fighting for, where the money's coming from, et cetera. And so I think part of it is. For too long, people have not felt like tangible results day to day in some areas of their life where they can say, I gained this uniquely and specifically because of this president. I I think sometimes people may not recognize what they're gaining or they feel like they haven't really gained anything, particularly in the news field that we have that really hones down in in making talking points of like, Obama didn't do anything for black people, right? And so when you keep hearing that and you don't, you feel like my check isn't larger than I didn't, he didn't do anything for me. And I think that like that that's part of the fatigue that I think is also part of it.
3: Yeah, for me it's like different because I kind of got lucky. I turned 18 on the end of October, shout out to Simone who we share a birthday, October 27. And, and I turned 18 October 27, 2004, which was literally a week before I got to, to um, uh, vote for John Kerry in the first presidential election I was ever voting for. So for me, like it hit at a time when I was in high school, you know, this was a conversation we were having. So the, the conversation of not voting for me has never really been there because I literally turned 18 and was like in the middle of a presidential election, we, a week out. And so... Non-voting was never a thought. My parents were voters; like they hyped it a lot. But I also voted today in one of the Missouri primaries. And uh, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people think of non-voters is what's so interesting is that there were 15 things to vote for in the second Missouri primary. The the first Missouri primary happened back in March, right before I went home for for the pandemic. I think um, the first one and. Now we have a second one. I mean, non voters are typically people that think that they're not their vote either doesn't matter or they're not influencing anything, which is funny because I'm sitting there in a primary with like tons of things. Literally, if you're between the ages of nineteen and sixty-four in Missouri and sit in an impoverished income right now, but below the, the poverty line, you're you could have voted for your ability to receive Medicaid. Yeah. Um, from this state. That's like, uh, the, it doesn't matter if you think Joe Biden or Donald Trump will do a good or bad job. This could literally give you the option of free healthcare. Actually, I got a text message from someone about it this weekend, and, and she told me to vote no for it in the, uh, in the conversation. And so I, I asked her if my, my healthcare mattered enough to her, if the government's um, budget was more important than my existence because that's kind of what I felt in the conversation and she just told me to have a good weekend and then I texted her a few more times and never heard back but you know i think the the reality is is that non voters are people that don't believe that their vote matters to anything and you know i think that's very fair because in november for the presidential election five votes will decide if we have a new president or not it's going to be Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, maybe North Carolina, you know, throw in Wisconsin. Those states if they swing one way or the other, they will decide who wins in 2020. They decided who won in 2016. Yeah. It's going to be the same conversation. So I do understand the resident the the and resonate with the idea that my vote may not matter in some cases but in very local level politics your vote does matter your vote could impact who judges that will put your friends and family you know in a in a bad situation deciding the kind of sentencings they get the kind of you know c- conversations that judges can have with the communities we look at judge records and say wow how did this person Get into this position. It's like, well, they were voted on. Police chiefs sometimes are voted on. You know, these these types of positions can really control how a community is impacted, not only by you as an individual, but you know, racial injustice that we keep fighting and protesting. It's like, well, how these people get here? And it's like, well, we didn't vote them out or vote them. We voted them in. You know, at one point. And so the whole idea of non-voters to me are a lot of people that think their vote doesn't matter. When I think their vote really, really does. But.
6: Yeah, I think. I mean, you just never know when your vote's going to matter. So just vote, right? Like, I think that that's like kind of really important to just put out there that at any your your vote. I think your vote always matters. That's my personal conviction. But even if at some point you feel like, oh, my uh, my vote kind of gets washed out, like Mm -hmm. if we look at recent elections, particularly the past one that we had in twenty sixteen, we see that people electing to opt out of this one because no candidate was good enough for them resulted in some of those very people getting a candidate um, or receiving a president that that they totally w- I mean they wish that that had never happened and so I, I think non-voters in my mind are people who are not committed enough to like commit to voting like no matter what like I'm going to mm. make I'm going to make this stretch. I mean, we saw in the elections in Georgia that even though incredible efforts were made to suppress votes, that people were still standing in the rain. Now, am I suggesting that people like get sick and like do all the things and get the Rona and all this stuff? No, I think that we have to find ways to do things safely. But there's a certain level of commitment, especially, you know, I would say in any election, but especially if you're living in like swing states and stuff like that, like you have to commit to just saying, I am going to do this. I'm going to exercise my right because there are so many people who wish they had that right. I mean, we look at convicted felons who are disenfranchised. And turn around and don't have that ability to, to use their voice in a democracy almost ever again, depending on what jurisdiction they live in. And they they might be reformed, they might be be you know thinking clearly now, right? And and yet they don't have the ability to use their voice. And so it's important that that we, mm-hmm. you know, that we we commit to that, that yeah. we decide this is something I'm gonna go after, and I'm not gonna stop until I'm at the ballot box.
0: Thank you guys so much, and we have a really good question from Brie. She says, "Are people who are victims of voter suppression considered non-voters?" And uh, I think Adrian or either Esther had a point on differentiating and kind of understanding, you know, what that means. Maybe you can say a little bit about that, and then also directly answer this question.
5: Yeah. So I think when we're saying non-voters, we are talking about people who are choosing voluntarily not to vote. So we're making the distinction between people who cannot vote because of voter suppression versus people that can, like they have the opportunity and the ability and the resources and the means to do it, but they choose not to for various reasons. So whether they just think it doesn't matter, whether they just are not passionate enough about the candidates, that's who we are talking about. And I, um, in research and studies that are done on that, they also make that differentiation. So they'll ask them, like they, they make the differentiation and control for having access to resources and ask them like, why, what is the main reason why you're not voting? And some people will say things like, I can't get off work, or, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. But mm-hmm. a lot of people will also say various other reasons. And that's who we are talking about is make the decision not
0: to vote. So, um, I, I think we did a we did do a little bit of mentioning um, how a small number of votes can really push an election, um, you know, from one side to the other, or rather, a better way to say it, it can decide who wins.
3: True. And. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, there there are a lot of examples of that. Does anyone want to speak to some examples that they've seen of, you know, voting or, or a small number of votes being critical to deciding an election?
3: I mean, I think that's what's so great about Stacey Abrams is she saw that yeah. in Georgia because yeah. we're talking about non-voters and you could put them in this categorization. But when you show up to a polling booth and you realize that you're – registration is no longer valid because a politician ensured that you were removed from voter registration because of some error they decided to create. Because Mm -hmm. yes, this is systemic oppression. Voter suppression is a form of this. Stacey Abrams saw that and said, I think I might've won this election had this voter suppression not taken place. And so she literally started a foundation to ensure that people are registered, that people know that they got pulled out of their registration because we categorize a lot of non-voters, but we found out hundreds of thousands of people were showing up to vote and being told, sorry, you're no longer registered. We don't do same day registration. And I'll tell you right now, if uh, you're in a state, well, first of all, a lot of people need to know that almost every state in in, in the union gives you time off from work that is required to be paid if you have to work during voting hours. Your boss has to allow you to go vote. Like a lot of people don't realize that, so you know, be be mindful of that. Tell your boss, like, look, I'm going to vote. Um, but yeah, like, I think the important thing is if you're hearing politicians say we want to make it harder for people to vote, they're doing this because they want you to be in the non-voter category because they're scared of who you will vote for. Yeah.
2: 100%. Yeah, I think another example. Well, there's a bit of a backstory. I. Esther and I were watching Fresh Prince and Hillary talked about some meeting that her dad was hosting or a party her dad was hosting at their house. And she's talking to a politician about global warming. And this is like late 80s, early 90s. And it's like it's the same kind of like conversation that was having like decades before and then we were listening to this podcast like a few days later and it just kind of reminded me how crazy it was like the bush versus gore election and how that kind of came down to just florida and the margin was just like 500 votes or or something or yeah something like crazy like that where it was like yo we we could have made So much strides uh, if Gore had actually won in like the fight with climate change. And I think it shows that there are some instances like earlier on, Logan, you mentioned a few states like what this election would come down to. But just like imagine if just a few more hundred people had voted that year or if we hadn't experienced some voter pressure in Florida that were in areas that were predominantly minority groups how different our country would have looked. you know and I think that is is also what's crazy. The last few elections in, in in the modern era, you look at this one, you look at at Clinton and Trump, it came down very close. And that I think is where you can really point to as your your perfect case studies and say, if you go and then you convince your friends to go and then they convince their friends to go, like that can make such a significant difference in the long run. And I think like we're seeing it now, like a a more competent president could have been in office if more people voted in those specific states. So, yeah.
6: I think probably one of my favorite examples in recent history was the Roy Moore, versus Doug Jones race in Alabama where um, Doug Jones literally won 49.9% of the votes and Roy Moore got 48.4% of the votes and i can't help but think about the fact that and then 1.7 or something percent of the votes went to other voters you know who wrote it wrote in right but i can't help but think about the fact that Roy Moore more i mean was he is everything that we did not want in a candidate. This man was accused of like molesting children and like all sorts of things, right? And so, um, you know, his policies were terrible, especially for people of color. And in Alabama, I mean, Alabama, we were able to overcome by having people turn out to vote and turn that vote around. But that is, I mean, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was unprecedented. I don't think that, you know, they had had a win like that in that area in at least quite some time. And that is, to me, drives home the importance of getting out there and every single person voting. Because it was less than, it was like 1.5% of a margin between those two individuals voting. And that's the difference between Alabama having somebody who they feel like, oh, I can stand behind this guy. And having somebody who was literally accused of the worst and most these
1: things. Yeah, just to add to that, um, you know, I, I think when you look back at the 2016 presidential election, which is um, a painful example of this, uh, if you look at the results, let's just look at Pennsylvania. I mean, there are a couple of different states you could look at. But Pennsylvania, um, Hillary Clinton lost by, uh, just over 44,000 votes. It was 44,292. The percentages, Trump got 48.18. Hillary got 47.46. Just to give you some scale, uh, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, got 49,000 votes uh, herself. Gary Johnson got 146,715 votes so And then other write-in votes, so people just like who, you know, just felt like writing in whoever they wanted to, there were 50,076 of those. So there are more white write-in votes than the margin of victory between Trump and Clinton. And that's 20 electoral votes. Now, you combine that with, you know, what you saw happen in like a Michigan, a Florida, uh, you know, there are a couple other like pretty razor thin, close examples um, of as far as the, um, the margin of victory, like North Carolina was pretty close as well. Um, you, you start thinking like, all right, well, me as a person, you know, I may may feel like my vote doesn't matter. Um, but you know, I mean for like, you know, I don't know how many people can fit into Lincoln financial field, but it's probably not much less than 44,000 people in Philadelphia. Just, uh, the amount of people at a a stadium for one sporting event could have swung 20 electoral votes. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Um, and you know, when you start getting into some of the different tactics that were at play, um, which came out later with the mother report and things of that nature, there's the old saying of, um, if it's, if it's close, if it's, I I forget the exact way the saying goes, but essentially that, you know, if the, if it's, if it's close, then it's close enough to steal kind of a thing. And that was definitely the situation that played out when, as you've seen studies since then have shown how some of the targeted ads and and the different uh, things that were happening with the help of Russia, of Mm -hmm. course. Oh yeah. um, when, When you start getting to that small of a margin and it's affecting that number of persons as the studies have shown um, in a place like Pennsylvania, in an Ohio, um, you can swing an election and that's what happened. And so um, I think that it's critical that folks understand, um, particularly, you know, because some people think that, oh, if we, if we did away with the Electoral College and every vote would count, that would be better. And I do agree with that. But I don't think that we should think that because we have the electoral college that every single singular vote doesn't matter Uh, because, again, 44,000 more persons voting a certain way could swing 20 of those electoral votes. So in some ways, your, your individual vote means even more right now under a current system as it would if it was just one person, one vote counts towards, you know, and it was just by the popular vote, which I'm a proponent of, you might actually have a little bit of more of an argument that, well, once because some of the Democratic strongholds are so much more populated that those could carry someone to a presidential election. Whereas right now, because of the electoral system, you do have candidates having to work for every single vote, and those votes become much more, um, you know, critical when you get to these razor sharp um, your margins because you know with the final electoral count that we had, it can look like oh, you know, Trump had this big win, and he always talks about that. But when you get under the numbers, it was it was very thin margins in a lot of these key states, and so that's why again each vote is so important. Yeah, I,
3: um,
5: sorry i I just wanted to respond real quick to Mike Miller, who is asking if we. If the question that we're responding to today is about blame, and I I don't think any of that, I don't I don't think that that's necessarily the question that we're trying to get at. I don't think this is a question of blame necessarily. Um, I think I I personally am of the opinion that I mean if you have a nation a, d- a democratic nation where like on a like a regular national election you have like half of the people voting and half of the people not voting i think it's pretty clear the blame is in the system itself right like if that many people are either unable to vote or yeah. or are unengaged in the process itself because they don't see how it impacts them then the problem isn't individual people and i think we can agree to that But I think we want to have this conversation now just to sort of kind of break down some of the reasons why people choose not to vote, not to say like, hey, if you don't and this happens, it's your fault, but just to try to, this is just such a crucial election and it's just important that as many people are engaged in the process this time around as possible, even though we know the system itself is very broken, we don't have mm-hmm. time to fix it right now. So we just need to engage in it in the ways that we can um, just to try to save the future of our nation quite bit. But I do think on the note of uh, voter suppression, even though we're differentiating between the two things, I think it is a really important point and a strong point to make that you can sit and think that your vote doesn't matter or doesn't count, but it is very clear that other people think it does because ever since, especially if you're a black person in America, since the day black people in America could vote, people have been trying to keep us from voting.
1: Yep.
5: Right. And they're not focusing just in swing states. They're not like, that's not, nope, they're not thinking about that. They're trying to limit black people nationally from getting to polls in various different ways ever since we got the right to vote. I mean, when we were watching John Oliver the other day, he made the great point that when we learn about the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, we learn about it like Black people were getting something new. They weren't. Black people already had the right to vote by the time the Voting Rights Act passed, but we could not exercise that vote because it had been so intentionally suppressed. So that should just tell you, Whether you think your vote counts or not, they think your vote counts. They care about it. And that should tell you something. That at least tells me something.
6: And that's why it's so important for us, at the very least, to, to, if you have the ability to vote, and you can get there, do it, because there are plenty of ways, even now, we're fighting in courts to try to come up with better systems and interpretations of laws that that decrease voter suppression and legislation that stops voter suppression, the same way that they came up with the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is the same way that they're going to have to come up with new legislation to prevent those barriers from reoccurring in, especially in the South, um, but not limited to the South. And so if you have the right to vote and it's fairly convenient for you, don't take that for granted. Like you have to get out there and do it because there are literal like counties where they're trying not to set up enough spaces for them to go out and vote. If it is even remotely convenient for you, find yourself with either a mail-in ballot or with you know at the polls doing your thing. Um, because there's so many people who just wish they had that opportunity and wish that they lived in an area that wasn't constantly trying to suppress them.
4: Yeah, I actually remember growing up in Atlanta, going to vote with my Nan, and there will be lines, and there, it was always some hassle, it was always some additional thing. And I literally thought that voting took forever, like it was like an all day thing. That's just what I thought was normal. And so as an adult, when I started voting, um, I just like literally just walked in, did the thing and I was out. And I promise you, it was like six minutes. And when we moved here, our voting precinct is literally the building next door to us. And I can walk over there, go in, vote very quickly, very easily. Like they barely look at my identification. Like it's like super, super easy. Right. And I'm in and out and it's just a reminder that there are like Simone said there are people who are actively working and and i think the thing that really stuck with me when i finally came to to the decision to start voting was that it was really me learning the history like there were so many people who literally negra ever's literally died registering black people to vote like because that because that's what he was doing like john lewis got his skull cracked open because he wanted people to have access to the to the ballot box and so knowing that knowing that my there's a time where my own grandmother was not allowed to vote in america like she became like she was growing up in atlanta like she gained that right as an adult like knowing that um, it just puts a different weight on your shoulders to to walk around and flippantly say like, oh, like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, it really, really matters. There's blood in the soil because it matters, you know.
6: And like very much so, like if you look back at history, a lot of the lynchings that we see that we say, OK, this person was killed because they are just a black person living in the community. No, a lot of those people were vote um, organizers for voting who are trying to help people register, who were trying to set up stations. That's a common theme when you look at history and you look at the actions that that person took, house bombings, lynchings, killings. Mm-hmm castration, all sorts of things that happened to black people yeah, they live in the community, but they weren't targeted until they started to vote. That ought to tell us something until they started organizing other people to vote. That ought to tell us something that the power of voting is significant. It's it's valued, it's coveted. If, if it's something that people could could have for themselves it be your vote. So it's so, so important for us to get out there and to vote. Okay, I think I've said that like nine times.
2: And, and, and to just <laughs> piggyback, off of what Garrison just said, because I think that's a very uh, profound point that I, I think we want to acknowledge, that there are, like, based off of what you just described, there are, like, two realities when it comes to voting, right? Like, when, you know, Esther brought up the the John Oliver, he, he did a profound episode on just the history of systemic racism in our country, and and that's part of it. There There's, like, a myth that, like, America has... From slavery up until now gone on this just like very straightforward positive trajectory on racial reconciliation. But when you talk to people about their experience and or about your experience rather, and particularly white people, they would be like, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense, right? Stop and frisk. Like, that's ridiculous. What what are you talking about? A cop just randomly pulls you over just, just to search you for no random reason, right? Then you talk about voter suppression, a white person comes in the room and they're like, What are you talking about? I go in, do my thing, and then I'm out in like 5, 10, 15 minutes. Right. And that I think is part of the problem that I, I think is also feeding into non voters. I think a lot of minority groups have like given up on the system of voting because of what they have to go through just to vote. Right. Like it. We we look at you know someone like like Lewis as 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 a hero and he is, but I don't know if I would blame other people back then who were afraid to vote because they were terrified of their skull getting cracked open. So they're like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm gonna not go and just save my life. And I think that that feeds into it. This like there are so many powers that feel overwhelming at times. And so a lot of people choose to just not do it. And and that I think feeds into part of the reason as to why people don't vote.
5: But I think it's important to know when we say like those powers making it difficult, like that's voter suppression. Right. right? Like that right. is the voter suppression. So I think when we talk about not vote, people who are not voting, we're talking about people who are just not doing it. Not necessarily yeah. like, because they, there have been barriers put in, in their way.
1: right? So I just wanted to jump in real quick, um, as as our host recalibrates. Um, I wanted to um, respond. <laughs> no, to I did. I did know that you
0: wanted to make a comment. So I was waiting for you to go.
1: <laughs> I appreciate. I appreciate you making room for me, bro. I appreciate that. Um, so Larry and Sandy, shout out to them, of course. Thanks for coming back again. They were asking about college students often being non-voters. That that is a big issue for sure. What can be done to increase voting on college campuses? What is Andrews doing to increase student voting? So, I'll, I'll say real quick on the Andrews front, um, you know, I've been working closely with our Office for Campus Student Life, my colleague Steve Yeagley uh, in particular. He's, he's a friend of the show and, and watches often. If, if you're watching, Steve, shout out to you. Um, we, we have a lot of things planned as far as getting students here registered to vote. Obviously, all of those activities are nonpartisan. Uh, We want to make sure that students have the information they need to do that. Um, Of course, the deadline for the general election here in Michigan is October 20, but we actually have same-day registration here in um, Michigan. So if someone doesn't meet that deadline, they could, if they are voting in person, they can register same day and vote. Um, All of our students would qualify, obviously, to Vote here in Michigan, you have to be a resident for 30 days before the election, and living in one of our residence halls would, um, you know, of course, um, qualify for that. And so, we're going to make sure that anyone, uh, everyone has ample opportunities to get registered. We we can't do that as much as we wanted to, um, on an in person uh, vibe due to some of the restrictions we'll have on gatherings, but um, you can do it all online. Um, And at least to get the process started um, and and we'll have folks here that are available to do it. Um, I'll just point in, I remember the 08 election, which was the first presidential election I could vote in. And one of the really dope things about um, that moment in in time, I think, was how actively engaged my friends and I were um, on getting folks here in the community registered to vote. Uh, for President Obama, who would end up being elected. And in that election, as I'm sure I've mentioned on here before, it was the first time that Berrien County went blue since FDR during that election and then again in 2012. And a large part of that was because of young people on our campus and other campuses. We did some partners, partnerships with LMC as well, uh, getting folks, in particular folks in in Benton Harbor, registered and knocking on doors there, canvassing, um, having a a office there in in the harbor to get folks access to the polls. And then on election day, giving people rides, those kinds of things, Um, you know, and again, that's gonna be a little more difficult with COVID. And so I think the big push right now is gonna be for those who can do it, getting them signed up for mail-in voting, absentee ballots, whatever the case may be so that they can vote safely particularly folks in higher risk populations. Uh, But we're gonna provide multiple opportunities for our students to uh, get engaged. I'll stop the Andrews University commercial now. (laughs) Facts.
3: (laughs) And if y'all want young people to vote, back progressives in the primaries instead of backing these older generation, traditional middle leaning politicians. If you look at voter turnout for young people, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, they got young voters because they were younger people and they were progressive people. These older generations are struggling to connect because I'm not gonna say anything else.
0: <laughs> well, uh, thank you for the restraint, I guess. I don't know what else to say to that, but uh, we are gonna, <laughs> so we've been talking about uh, voting and you know what it means to vote and why voting is important. Um, but another question I think a person may have is, you know, does who I vote for actually matter? The whole system is corrupt, uh, corrupt, excuse me. I, I almost put corrupt and Trump into one word. could be a new thing. <laughs> Crump, the I whole system is corrupt, Biden or Trump, you know, why would I vote for either of the guys? Um, it, nothing is really gonna change. And I, I see a lot of this language you know be apparent, especially during election season. Where we start to where a lot of people just start to say, you know, all politicians are bad anyways, so what's the point? Danny, uh, could you kind of bring us into this question a little bit and and help us kind of lay the table for why it does matter for us to vote? why there is a difference between who we're voting for?
7: Yeah, um, for sure, I've honestly, this is probably the reason I've heard most in my circles that it doesn't matter uh, with this election in particular, Biden or Trump, they're both terrible, um, basically the same, or even with the last election with Hillary and Trump, they're both trash people. So why would I want them to be president anyway? So it's much better to not uh, do that. And so one of the things that I've been doing is just looking up reasons why uh, we feel as if we have the same um, that these two politicians have the same views in the same platforms. Uh, one of the things that I've researched is just the fact that the way in which marketing and speech has taken over as opposed to experience and governing um, has really impacted voters because what we are constantly being inundated with is Speeches, promises, uh, internet—we're being inundated by their appearances on different late-night TV shows. Um, we're being—we're seeing them as personalities, but we're not seeing them as people who will actually push what's progressive. Uh, in addition to that, I also noticed—I read this really great Brookings Institute article about uh, why. Uh, the presidency has shifted and changed over the years, not just with Trump failing, but also with more recent presidents. And it's because of the fact that we are we're looking at this from a very small lens. Voters are not taking or given the opportunity to really filter through through the information on their own. So one of the things I did today during my lunch break is I went to look at the platforms of both. Joe Biden and Donald Trump on their websites. And uh, we can look at articles from other sources, but I think the best way to know who to vote for is to actually look at their platform, look at who they're partnering with, see what their messaging is. And it's very clear, just uh, just looking at that, how um, their platforms are completely different. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't have a platform, but Biden does. And what I think is pretty awesome about this is that if you looked at Biden's website in the primaries, there's a lot of stuff here that wasn't there before. But then now it has increased. He has uh, taken steps to learn and to grow and to accommodate more progressive voters. And so he's been able to revamp some of those policies including things that matter, such as environmental justice, including things that are clear, clear plans for leadership uh, with COVID. And I think in particular, I really loved, initially he had a plan for Black America, but if you scroll down a little bit, you see the Lift Every Voice, Biden's plan for Black America, and it's so much more extensive than his initial plan, even a few months ago. And so I think that's something significant that we don't even think about at times, is the fact that our politicians are allowed to grow and develop, but it's also about the ways in which they present their ideas and present their thoughts. Uh, so yeah, that's just something I started thinking about. I love being able to search through their platforms this way and even searching through Donald Trump's uh, page and seeing that he has no platform, he has promises he's kept, um, yeah, quotes, promises he's kept. And he has, um, it's more so about, this is what I, Donald Trump, have done for the American people. See, put your email here to see more of my accomplishments. And I think it's important when we're looking at presidents to not just look at, oh, this person has said stupid things Yes, that's important, but it's also important to look at, you know, what does this person actually stand for regardless of their, their mistakes? Um, and you can see that with President Trump, he is not a public servant, at least with Biden. He's a public servant, but you see this is not, this is the reason why we need to vote and why this is not a game of two of the same people.
1: Yeah, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm just going to interject, Danny. I cannot. I literally cannot get past this page. Not, <laughs> what is this page? I, I, they're trying to he's forcing me to <laughs> give money.
0: I love how $2,000 is literally an option that is openly visible. Why is it 42
1: What's the 42 of it?
0: Oh, you can't even start at ten. Forty. Five. It's Dang it! I no.
5: gave
0: fifty and Who not is forty. Is there
2: with oh, it,
0: it, so so so. Uh, it looks like a, an error page when you put in the wrong <laughs> URL for a website. That's what it reminds me.
1: What like that time? I, I think this. I think this is what you were talking about. Yeah. Time is kept, Danny. Okay. Okay. That's it. Uh, okay. It's good okay.
0: I'm seeing some stuff. Guess it's a little more
3: care.
1: Oh,
2: stay up I'm to
0: date. Oh no, no
3: no trigger. no. Okay okay okay. okay, okay. We're back. Okay. Right. It a says expensive. not Obamacare. That's all it says in there. Oh
4: my gosh. Oh, so this is more so the things that he's claiming as victories, as opposed yeah. to what he's mm-hmm. claiming he will do.
5: Mercy. So he literally does not have a platform of what he plans to do no. on his website. Wow. No.
0: The achievements.
5: And there's it's nothing.
7: Covid there's nothing related to his immigration platform mm-hmm. or promises are, yeah
4: Oh wow no, that is that is really helpful. You know, I think you're right, Danny, that there are a lot of people who would like to say, oh, like Trump and Biden. Are, I heard it. I was listening to a podcast, and someone described them as two wings on the same bird, right? Like they're saying, like, oh, they're basically the same, and we can have opinions about these two candidates. That's that's appropriate. But Danielle, Danny, what you're what you're pointing out is like the quantifiable difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like there, are, there's some empirical data here that we can point to as the difference between these two individuals as candidates, and Think what you want to think about them as people, but but one of them actually has plans to accomplish, and one of them quite literally has not put out a plan, and that's not biased, That's just a fact.
2: Yeah, I think we also need to touch on, um, I, and it's been a pretty frustrating uh, talking point that I've heard of just like this this false equivalence of like the the 2020 Democratic Party and the 2020 Republican party as both you know you're in the political arena and therefore there is corruption on both sides. Therefore, concluding like what's the point of voting for for Biden or for Trump. Well, just as as Danny Garrison said, you we we are not talking about the moral compass of these two individuals. Like we fully recognize that Biden has made some political moves that have been horrible. Like we we are not pro-Biden. N- nobody on this uh panel here with Biden's <laughs> supporters, like we were all leaning in the Warren Bernie uh direction. So we trust me, like we are not fans. <laughs> Of Biden,
1: right? Uh, I, so, who, I I was voting for uh, um, what's her name? Tulsi Gabbard. But I was Tulsi uh, Gabbard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one,
1: one hit workout at a time. Oh my
2: god. But like, and so that that I think it's it's very important to recognize that there is a difference. You can look at this presidency alone. You look at what they've done with transgenders. We look at what they try to do with DACA. We look what they did with the Muslim ban. We're not seeing the Democratic Party do these things, and under a Biden administration, we I, I I can comfortably say I don't think he would do those things either. And those are clear differences between someone like Biden and someone like Trump. Having someone like Biden in the White House could have handled this pandemic a lot better. Than someone like Trump, the, the the misinformation, the 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 retweeting conspiracy theories, the flat out lies, the 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 co-signing and supporting crazy doctors who are filling people's heads with nonsense. Like, come on, y'all! What, what we're we we are not talking about the the political differences of like universal healthcare versus something that's a bit more affordable. Like that's that's not what we're talking about. We're we're talking about existential threats versus someone who has plans. And and I think that's what we really have to focus in on. We we are not asking people to be pro-Biden supporters. We're not asking you to get his gear, his hats, his shirts we're, we're not asking you to do any of that. What we are asking for you to do is to recognize one right now is a better candidate than the one that we currently have in office.
0: That's facts, Adrian. And just to jump super quick off of what you said, you know, I kind of feel like a similar thing that happened in 2016 is happening now where some of us, to be honest, at least to a degree, we forget what Trump is doing. We we forget that a Trump presidency, Trump being a candidate is not normal. It's not a normal thing. So I think a lot of us sometimes subconsciously bring whoever's running against Trump in the same arena as him, as if they're both on the same level of competency, as if they're both on at least on a similar level to be judged on, I guess, the horrible track record on certain things. Like we should really be. Look, uh, again, like we, we want you guys to vote. We're not telling you exactly who to vote for, we're just telling you our opinion. But please, for the love of God, we have to get Trump out. Okay. I just can't do this anymore. There's so many things that I have plans, I have dreams, and I can't do them when he is president. I just can't do that. So I think it's important for us to remember that a Trump presidency is not normal. Okay. Yeah. Let's definitely hold Biden to a standard, let's definitely judge him, let's definitely critique him so he can grow and so we can keep ourselves accountable and keep him accountable. But we definitely need to remember that Trump and Biden, they're they're not the same, it's it's, it's not the same thing. Trump is something else, he's something different. We have to keep that in mind. Even even though we've been dealing with him for four years, he's definitely something different, a, a different kind of animal, a monster, a beast. I said my piece. <laughs> right?
6: I mean, when you look at I think one of the most important differentiations is that one is accountable to the political process and one does not feel accountable whatsoever. Mm. So, when we're looking at how change is affected, how change is made, nice. yeah. I mean you're talking about people voicing their concerns having opinions and actually being heard and somewhat like respected and considered for their opinions versus trump who honestly i mean i don't even know if his closest advisors agree with what he's doing at this point you know what i mean like like they are just so he's so out there with his ideas he's so um, independent of any sort of accountability, even I think to some degree, I think that there are people who are in his base who don't even agree with what he's saying. And so we have a situation where, you know, Joe Biden has been in positions before. He's been the vice president, he's been a senator, he's been in Congress. Okay, but like, he as a president would have a whole new level of accountability to a group of individuals who he'd select he's no longer he has a cabinet of people who advise him and those are things that that he has shown that he takes value and that he, he values. And so I think it's important when we're looking you know, at the equivocate, like equivocating the two, I think it's important for us to think about that. Also, no Trump supporters are talking about how Biden and Trump are the same. None. Mm. None of them are saying, well, yeah, I mean, they're basically the same. I think I'll just vote for Biden. None yeah, of them. That's are voting for Donald Trump. Right, and so we sit over here. We debate because we want to see something totally different happening that's not really within our realm right now. But the reality is, is that nobody from the Trump and no, nobody from the Trump end of things are, is coming over to our end and saying, "Well, yeah, they're basically the same." I also think like you don't even need to give Biden the benefit of the
5: doubt. In order to to support him, like I, you don't need. I, I could understand how you would look at everything that we're saying and be like, okay, but his track record doesn't back it up. I don't believe that he really cares now. I think that's very valid. It is very possible that he does not care, but he's the only candidate in the game right now that actually has political incentive to listen to us. Mm. Like, Trump does not have that incentive. He's he's running his whole campaign on not listening to us and going in the complete opposite direction. So even if you're like, Adam is just a politician, everything he's saying he doesn't really believe in, yeah, you could be right. But out of the two options that we have, he's the only one that has any reason why he should Listen and push things in the other direction, and we've seen him doing that by incorporating Bernie and, and collaborating with people like that to change his platform up right. a little bit because he knows I actually, in order to win the 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 left the left part of our nation and win the Democratic um, whatever the general election. I have to do, like, I have to shift in that direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah even if I because I don't even know if I'm sold and I think, like, yes, he, he truly believes this Now he's had a change of heart. I don't know if I'm there. I just, I think he at least knows, I have to at least make some sort of effort mm-hmm. in that direction. And I think that that that's all we got. So I have to go for that.
1: Yeah. And I just want to add, you know, I, I think particularly as black persons in America, we uh, stand upon the shoulders of a legacy of having to deal with very imperfect, <laughs> very nuanced politicians who sat in positions of power in order to move the ball a little bit more forward to get closer to equity, you know liberty, inclusion, and equality for our people. Uh, I, I don't think that you know, Martin Luther King Jr. sitting across from Lyndon B. Johnson had any rose-colored glasses on about how Lyndon B. Johnson felt about black people in general, personally. That didn't stop him from engaging with him in order to get the, the Civil Rights Act passed. Um, you know, so I I I don't understand why we think, you know, we, we, we can operate on this absolutist mentality. Um, as it pertains to politics, particularly as Black persons, because if that's the case, um, nobody will ever be electable, um, at least for the foreseeable future, if we're talking about someone who fully speaks to every facet of interest that we have, you know, as whether you're talking about, you know, Black persons, whether you're talking about progressive-minded voters, whether you're talking about conservative voters, because you have a slew of conservatives who justified voting for President Trump because of the fact that they felt that the means justified the ends. Now, that hasn't worked out for them at all. But thinking about it, hindsight being 2020, back in 2016, they did this whole, they're both two sides of the same coin thing because they saw the ability to you know, um, nominate two, three justices to the Supreme Court and all this different stuff that they kept pointing to to say, well, that's the greater good, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, Whereas, you know, more progressive minded voters, you know, because their particular candidate didn't win. Now, all of a sudden they want to burn the whole system down. It's just like I I understand. I understand that, you know, folks can get frustrated, but um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold people accountable. Uh, I think, as others have said, we'd be in a much better position to hold Biden accountable than we will um, a second term President Trump. If this is what we've seen in the first term, where someone has to think with some modicum of thought about being reelected, you know, I can't even imagine what would happen in a second four years of this where he knows he's going to ride off into his proverbial sunset. Um, I mean, the unhinged behavior we're seeing now, uh, I I think you could, you know, maybe double or triple that in, in another four years of this. And so I understand that. Joe Biden's not perfect, um, but I don't know that perfection can ever be the standard here, particularly for us as Black persons. There's just way too much at stake. We're continuing to live through a pandemic, which is disproportionately killing people who look like us. Like, let's let's just start, I mean, that's all we have to say, you know? And so, um, and, and most of that being affected by the, you know, action or inaction of the person sitting in that office. And, and so, um, you know, lives are at stake here. Futures are at stake. Uh, we can get to, you know, if we want to do a creative president conversation, we can do that in December. But as for as for right now, we need to really think about the legacy that we stand upon, particularly as black persons and what it has taken to get us to this point. Because if MLK was waiting for the perfect person to talk to he would have died without seeing the Civil Rights Act and you know the other civil rights acts that came in the wake of his death would not have happened. And we wouldn't even be having this conversation about voting in public. We'd all be getting rounded up because we're not supposed to vote. So I'm not, not gonna say case closed, but I'm just saying we, we got to do what we got to do here. And the, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I think we just have to be a little bit more reasonable here um, and, and do what we have to do to move our democracy forward.
7: Yeah, I agree. And I think that in some ways, because the other part of this is the, well, I'm resisting the corruption. So I'm just not going to participate in the system. But that's not the way this is set up. Like when you're not, when you are abstaining from voting, you are not contributing your voice. You're not contributing Uh, your opinion. So then there's no space for anyone to come to the table to change the system. And so the way things work in our country is through policy. It is through working uh, in these ways that I don't think are okay. I think anyone on the pod can tell you if you saw our group chats, I am probably the most socialist person on the group chat. Like, I am ready to make us a socialist country. Um, but and apparently I would be elected president. So, um, so like, it's not even me. I am not a moderate at all. If there's anything, I am probably even more left than Bernie Sanders. So I think that there is space for us to learn how to work in these systems, because policy advocacy is, advocacy is what gets things through. It's the ability to use your voice and elect someone. So we elect Joe Biden, but we realize the fact that he listens and sees that the Democratic party or independents are way more progressive than they have been traditionally, that there's been a shift with this generation. So then we'll begin to see other candidates that pop up. We'll begin to see and be able to use those grassroots movements that people talk about I read an article of someone in their 20s who didn't vote who said grassroots movements are doing more great work. They're doing great work, but they also need to be involved in policy. So maybe we could get some of those grassroots community organizers into local politics, into these spaces, so that we can actually change the way the system works. And honestly a lot of people will say well the system is flawed there's no way we can change it but if that's where we are if that's like how disillusioned we are then we are going to be left with donald trump we're going to move from into a space where we are no longer we're not a pure democracy but we're no longer the representative democracy that we're currently supposed to be our government will no longer function we're already seeing what's happening when power is abused when presidential power is given, when the president is given too much power, there is very little checks and balances at this point. And so we need to save the ability to actually have rights in this country, the ability to think for ourselves, the ability to exercise our voices. And we keep that by participating in civic life. When, when civic life dies, that's when democracy dies. But we're a generation of people that don't believe in civic life. Mm-hmm. There's no spaces for this conversation because we're like, well, we don't care. So I'm not even going to talk about it.
5: Mm-hmm. I um. Yeah, what you like, what you're saying reminded me of some this another angle that I've heard from people online that I honestly like. I had to take a second look when I read it, like, because for me, when I read something that's like, uh, like, very radical and new, like, I'm automatically interested a little bit. Um, so there's like, there are some people that believe that because the system, in and of itself, from its founding, like, from the day we not we, but people, came to America, wiped out the Native Americans, you know, and Declaration of Independence Constitution, because all of that was so corrupt, and the system that they created was only possible because of corruption, there's a lot of, not, I don't know if it's a lot, but there's a growing movement of people that think because of that, we shouldn't be engaging in our political system because us engaging in it legitimizes it essentially like what you were saying Danny like what you're saying about how like our engagement in this process is what keeps it alive there's some people that look at it and are like exactly our engagement in this process is what keeps it going and I think that this entire process is so completely uh, corrupt and um, immoral at its foundation that we shouldn't be legitimizing it by engaging in it and I um I honestly like Asia will tell you like I wrestle with that a little bit. Um just because I, I think the logic of it, like that line of thinking I can understand in that like yes, you are right, all of this is completely wrong. And when we haven't really engaged or I don't like really, really dove into our past as a nation and how we're going to make up for in some way or undo or try to address all of the people and groups of people that are still paying for the cost of this democracy that we have, it does feel like, like why are we even, you know, engaging with it in the first place? And for me, it, it honestly just came down to like, like this moment that we are in right now. And the fact that like what you're trying to do when you do that, when you abstain your vote in order to make that point is like you're doing like you're trying to make a point, a valid point and a powerful point. But that's that's really it. Like you're like you're making a point. You're not really moving things in a in a forward direction. You're just saying like this is wrong. So I'm I'm going to do this and make this stance. And I just think that the people, though, who are going to pay for you making that stance are the very people that you're angry for. And so it just doesn't balance out for me. It's like we have a very real human cost that I don't know if everybody's recognizing. and I think that human cost needs to outweigh, especially right now, that political stance, that point that, that you want to make. Um, yeah, and that yeah, that was just for me how I resolved that because I felt some cognitive disson- dissonance and some internal tension. But I, I think that's where I came to, it's just like, we have to think about this super practically, like people's lives are at stake.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree, agree with that thought process. And just to like, kind of plug into this just a little deeper for, for a real quick point here, is like there, you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, they are different people, obviously. Um, racists are gonna vote for both people. I mean, Donald Trump has really brought out racism in America But you know, I've I've experienced just yesterday some racism from a fellow white colleague that is gonna definitely vote for Joe Biden. Racists are gonna vote for both of them. But racist organizations are going to back and give money to Donald Trump. The KKK has websites filled with people. White nationalism has websites filled with people that are backing and supporting Donald Trump. This is like astronomically different than holding some like um pretty trash racial biases and being like, yeah, we believe our movement of. White nationalism is going to be moved forward through the presidency of Donald Trump. Like, think about that for a second. Like, both candidates are anti freedom of movement for immigration, but organizers within, in, within immigration are telling us to vote for Joe Biden. So, yes, both have maybe trash immigration policies, but organizers are saying vote for Joe Biden. Sexists are going to vote for both guys, but feminists seeking gender equality are telling us to vote for Joe Biden. And from now until Tuesday, November, or until Monday, November 4 or 2. We should be seeking the most progressive ideas imaginable. You know, we should be seeking healthcare for everyone, basic income for everyone, free college for everyone, abolishing ICE, defunding police, LGBTQ and trans rights specifically. But on November 3, we should realize that the only candidate that's going to help us move forward to getting closer to those goals is... Joe Biden. Donald Trump only takes us backward. He only removes any of the ability to seek justice for these people and to seek anti-racism, to seek trans rights, to seek abolishing ICE and, and defunding police. Only the only candidate that's even close to giving us some sort of progress toward that is, is Joe Biden. And like it's really just that simple. Yes, both people are not where we want them to be. But Joe Biden is saying, even from when he won his primary, he's met with Bernie Sanders. He's met with people. He's going more left. He's saying, you know what? I'll listen. I'll at least listen. And Donald Trump is just calling everyone communists at this point. So you tell me who you would rather have a conversation with. Someone that says, I'll listen to you. Or someone that says, your opinion doesn't matter because I think you're a communist. I mean, it's very, it's a very simple, very simple decision.
0: Was someone gonna? saw you, Jordan. We're moving to reason three. Okay, oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So here
5: is. Oh, <laughs> <Man>, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> oh,
3: <man. laughs> oh man. <laughs> what, oh, was anyone transitioning to the uh,
1: so? Yeah, I don't. Result? Yeah, I think, think. Um, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was. I think uh, Jordan had asked. Oh, he's back. <laughs> Jordan, do you want to? Do you want to <laughs> get back into the show, Jordan? Do you want to get back in? Are you sure? Oh, okay. Yes.
0: Sorry, I uh, am trying to get used to this Mac. When I swipe two fingers or three fingers, see, I don't even know it pushed me to a different, uh, Just don't to a different go full dimension, different page, whatever. Okay, so we have been talking about different reasons um, why voting matters and really tackling the different questions that may come up in our everyday conversations. And you know, my apologies if before what I said offended some of you and that, you know, I might've even turned this into some sort of counseling session on my own anxieties. <laughs> But reason number three actually kind of speaks to why there are a lot of people, including myself, and there are a lot of uh, people that are suffering right now that really do need the election to go a certain way. Um, and th- there's this question of that a lot of people ask, does this election or will this election actually affect my day-to-day life? And you can probably guess what my answer to this question is. But I want to hear from you guys. Um, what are some ways that the election will affect day-to-day lives? And just to center this conversation a little bit more, um, what are the impacts or what are the impacts going to be to people that are considered, that are under the DACA program, that are under ACA? How will those things affect, um, how will the Trump presidency affect these individuals in that group?
2: Well, I mean, I feel like, and I, I think that that's part of the, the issue that like you just brought up, Jordan. I think uh, oftentimes, particularly in this election, um, we have a desire to want like an like an instant, tangible kind of change that can be applied to our everyday life, um, but. Part of the concern is oftentimes we aren't always able to recognize how beneficial a policy was until it's like retrospective, like some time has passed and we can assess it, we can study it, we can research, do case studies on communities and different demographics and see how this helped, how this didn't help, and so on and so forth. Which you know, people like to look at at uh, you know Biden in that crime bill, but it wasn't until a few years later that we fully recognized how uh, destructive it was and that it did not actually bring crime levels down. You know? And so I think part of how we need to reframe the way we view voting is to really research what these policies are trying to do for us, not just right now, but years down the line right we we look at where we were in 2007 and then barack obama comes in with the affordable care act and now there was i, I think it was about 30 to 40% of black americans now were covered with medical insurance right like prior to that they were just like all right, I hope I don't die. Like, it's just like, there, there, there was nothing else there. There's nothing there. The work he did on housing that, you know, we all know Trump just tried to remove that. But the, these are things that happened. A few years ago, you know, I, we were listening to another podcast how like 10 years ago, certain suburbs that were predominantly white are now seeing it integrated more because of some of the things that the Obama administration was able to implement, due to things with banks doing crazy loans or redlining in certain in certain instances, or or banks you know flat out lying about what some of these uh, uh, penalties would be in in certain cases, and and we aren't able to fully see that right when it happens, but I think that's how we have to start viewing some of these instances. Some of these policies, we're not going to immediately see, like, it isn't like a, you know, a slogan of like, right when we get in, I'm gonna, you know, lower your taxes, so to speak. And I think that has to be how we look at this election in particular, because we we need to recognize that Biden may help us lay down the, the, the work for something that we feel should be the more progressive approach. Trump's not going to allow that. Biden wants to build off of Obamacare and make it even more accessible. Trump's not going to allow that. And if we give Biden the opportunity to do that, and let's say four years from now, another more progressive uh, candidate wins that election, we, we continue to move the, the country along. And I think we have to start reframing the way we look at you know, just the, the, the way we want instantaneous change because I, I just don't think that happens very often.
6: I think even when we're looking, um, you know, I see some of the comments and they're talking about um, prosecuting for fraudulent activity and predatory lending and th- things like that. And I think that, you know, we have to center our conversation kind of like what Logan was saying Around who is most likely to tackle some of those issues, and to also invite people to the to the table who are going to tackle those issues, um, I'll tell you now: uh, Donald Trump is not interested in tackling that. He doesn't care if you get a predatory loan. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't mind at all. Actually, uh, it's more money for for him and people like him. So I think we what we have to think about, especially when it comes to stuff like that. There's you know, obviously, we have different layers of government, different, um, you know, we have the judiciary, we have the executive branch and we have the legislator. And so we have to think about how they all play together. And uh, the executive branch is one thing. But we also have to look at the laws that we're enacting and things like that. Um, but the president, we want him to be somebody who is going to at least encourage that sort of change is going to be open to it, I'll say, even if they don't encourage it. So I'm just going to throw that out there.
0: I also think it's just important to – I just want to echo what Simone was saying. It definitely is important to make sure that we're keeping these kinds of conversations very focused in and very streamlined in talking about who is on the ballot right now and between these two choices, who are we going to vote for? You know, Which president is going to be able to lead us through the rest of this pandemic – which president will actually try to speak to the concerns of and the things I go through in my day to day life and which president will can can literally transform my reality in this country. You know, we can bring up other presidents. We could bring up what other people did. um, But I, I think it's just important for us personally. I think it's important for us to focus on what these two choices are now. Again, we can begrudgingly judge for Joe Biden if we want, but just let's just make sure we're making the effort to push towards a change that we want to see for the next four years.
1: Yeah, I, I just want to jump in here real quick um, in regards to whether the election results will affect uh, my day-to-day life. Um, and I'll I'll use two examples. I, I do want to respond as I know Simone did, but I want to add to response to um, what, I think it was Mike brought up in regards to, you know, not prosecuting folks, you know, in response to fraudulent activity and predatory lending. Um, so one of the things that came out of that, and I, this is actually my PMI this week, um, I, I linked to an article there, so you feel free to check it out, um, is an article about um, a um a bureau that was created by President Obama in 2011 called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. Uh, One of the reasons it was created was because of the things that led to the 2008 financial crisis, which President Obama inherited. Um, One quick um, fact from that 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 I'll bring up is the fact that the CFPB has provided $11.7 billion in relief for more than 27 million harmed customers. And so that's any person who's dealt with some sort of a um, fraudulent loan, predatory lending, those kinds of things that was brought up. Um, Yeah, the CFPB, I think that's what I said. Um, and, And so that was something that he created in the wake of what happened to give protection to Ah, uh, consumers who found themselves in that kind of an instance, and what happened, you know, starting really early on in the Trump administration in 2017, was that um, it was thrown into disarray because there was a battle between the incoming Trump administration and the outgoing director that was placed by President Obama. Uh, it was actually um, the acting director for a period of time was was a gentleman by the name of Mick Mulvaney, which I think. Uh, folks will remember from a, a lot of the disputes um, and instances that that um, ended up happening um, with the um, the whole uh, fiasco around um, Joe Biden's son and things of that nature. And so he he was one of the casualties of that. Uh, he was the person who was put into the charge of CFPB and essentially nothing has been done with the CFPB um, since then. Uh, one of the other things that the CFPB did, which I'll point out, this a second quick thing, is um, as, as you all know, I worked with the Fair Housing Justice Center before doing what I did now. What I do now, and as part of our work um, at the Fair Housing Justice Center in New York City, we actually worked under a contract with the CFPB to do national testing investigations into um, predatory, racist lending, in particular for folks who were looking to buy purchase homes. Um, and, and, and a good friend of mine was our national testing director, and she did some extensive um, investigations into that conduct all around the country. And we uncovered um, countless cases of um, discriminatory lending practices across the country by some of the biggest you know, multinational banks that we have in our country um, and, and, ha- and, and forced them to pay Large civil penalties to persons who had been victims of, or, or could have been prospective victims of that conduct. Of course, with you know the incoming administration and and shifts in in, in housing at HUD as well as at CFPB, um, that that um, contract mostly froze up, and a lot of that work was stalled, and lots of persons uh, would then subsequently be affected because of the fact that you know, fair housing organizations like ours would no longer have a federal contract to do that investigatory work to uncover that discrimination to hold persons accountable. And so that's kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, but particularly for folks who are working in nonprofits who oftentimes rely upon partnering with organizations like the CFPB, like HUD, and who rely upon competent persons to be at the head of those agencies. a presidential election is very important to getting some of that work done, and so even though President Obama maybe didn't stand up and give a speech about you know those billions of dollars that um, banks and predatory lenders had to pay to consumers uh, to champion as some sort of you know a promise kept or whatever the case may be because he didn't keep you know a list of things that he did on on his um, you know re website like some current candidates. Um, there was a lot of work being done behind the scenes by groups like ours by other groups and a lot of those people are out of work now because of the fact that that money and that funding has dried up and so um i think we need to be careful and really do some research before we make these assumptions about the fact that no one was held accountable for the things that happened in 2008 because they absolutely were it did take some time because again that was inherited And um, a lot of that work was being stonewalled, obviously, by a Senate majority who was um, motivated to make sure nothing happened. And so nothing happens in politics in a vacuum, which is another thing that we have to understand. Um, And so, yeah, all these different systemic issues that we're talking about, many of them have gone unaddressed because of the fact that during this four years, you've had people at the helms of these administrations that just straight don't care. And so the results in this election are are really important and will affect lots of people's day to day lives, particularly if you, you know, for those of us who aren't homeowners, and I don't think any of us on here are homeowners as of yet. um, Maybe you are, Logan. I don't know. Um, You know, interest rates, things of that nature, uh, or to go into that, you know, to go into that transaction and have the, have the trust that you won't be lied to because you're Black, Um, a lot of that depends upon who's at HUD, who's elected president, who's enforcing these laws. And so, uh, again, we we need to do what we need to do.
7: I think that's a good point. And I'd say another way that it affects day-to-day life, um, I work with survivors of sex and labor trafficking. And the policies uh, that are currently, one of the biggest policies is the change um, changes in immigration policy because most of the clients I work with happen to be foreign nationals, but also changes in um, benefits. So a lot of clients lost jobs in COVID. A lot of clients weren't qualified for the stimulus of $1,200. A lot of clients have lost homes. Uh, There are also a lot of clients who, uh, even if they were able to find part-time work, I have clients who are making less than $60 a week, and they're supposed to live off of that in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And so, the policies for immigration, the policies for support for survivors, the funding that goes to the Office of Victims of Crime, the funding that goes to uh, nonprofits and grants, those are, those are the things that affect daily life. Um, and whoever is president and whoever is able to get the Congress Um, to work together. Those are the people who will be able to impact these things. We'll start to see those changes. And um, just being able to see that even if something doesn't directly affect me personally, it's still affecting other Americans that are vulnerable. Um, And it's important that we realize that elections are not just about us as individuals. It's about communities, it's about regions, it's about families. Um, And so I think it's important to keep in mind that, sure, I'm not, I personally am not affected by changes in immigration and changes in allowing uh, uh, foreign nationals to take part in Medicare or public benefits, but I work with those people. I work with foreign nationals. I work with vulnerable populations. I work with survivors of labor trafficking, the people who are tricked into being domestic servants for people in DC. Like, I work for those people. And I'm able to see how our policies and how who we elect directly impacts the lives of the people I work with and the people that are my clients and the people I advocate for. So um, yeah, it's important, I think, to realize that even if you are not directly affected by a policy, that policy is affecting someone in your community. And that's more than enough reason to make sure the right person is elected.
3: Yeah, no, I resonate with that a lot. And I actually kind of dislike some forms of this question, because we say, like, how does it benefit me? And I think that's been a problem, at least for my demographic, of how we voted literally since America started. We've said, how does this benefit you as an individual voter? And that has traditionally always been to benefit the straight white. Landowning men, um, you know, in America, white men specifically, and and at some point we have to say, how does a presidential nominee, uh, a governor, a senator, a uh, House of Representatives, a state and local official, not only benefit maybe me, but benefit my community, making people in my community safer, marginalized individuals having less oppression, you know, see, seeking more ways to you know fight for freedom, health care, you know, uh, education. That's the thing about voting is it's not about what will make me as an individual better. It will make what will make the United States of America better. And by better, I mean safer, glorifying diversity, equity, and inclusion, bringing rights to people that don't have them, demilitarizing communities of color and borders and saying your life matters because you're here. I don't care what your papers look like. I don't care what your skin color looks like. You matter because you exist, because you live here, because you pay rent and you follow laws, actually at a higher rate than white men men follow laws. Like that's kind of what I hate about so many people. They vote to say, well, Trump is gonna make me a little bit better, or he appeals to my racist ideas a little bit more. And it's like, well, well, screw your trash ideas. Screw your ideologies that are harming and hurting people. And realize that in order to be a real American, to be a real patriot is to say, You matter because you're here and because you make this country better. And right now in this conversation, Joe Biden says that more people matter. Joe Biden says we're not gonna pander to this ideology quite as much. We have to start realizing that we're stronger when we're uplifting the people that feel like maybe they can't uplift themselves.
0: So we're gonna close soon, Logan. I know you wanted to plug in a book yep. club real quick, and then once you do that, so I did White closed.
3: Fragility uh, book club, and I said that maybe a month or two ago. We finally finished it. We voted on doing How to Be an Anti-Racist. If you've read this book or want to read this book, message me. We can. Uh, you can join my book club, and you can run through it. White Fragility. If you're looking to read it, eh, read this one first is better. Oh my God! I tell you that right, right now. why fragility was it was okay, but this this is going to be a better read. I think you'll enjoy it even more. And so, if you want to join that, shoot me a message. You can shoot affirmative interaction a message. I'll see it on there as well, and I'll throw you in the group chat, and you can join us. It's typically been at Wednesdays nights at six PM Pacific time, nine PM Eastern. So yeah.
0: So I just want to say something real quick before I close. And what uh, what, what Danny said really reminded me of. Something that's just kind of been on my mind pretty frequently, um, but I can't go into too much detail. But I do work with refugees and ref- uh, refugees and asylees that come into America, and I've always wondered why my organization, you know, struggled with adequate staffing, with hiring enough people, so we can serve the people that we need to serve in the best way possible. And then having conversations with my with my boss, I learned that. Um, the organization that gives us our funding, that is from the government, um, literally cannot ask for more funding because they're afraid that if they get Trump's attention, he will decrease the funding overall. So literally Trump is affecting the work that I do. And there's this kind of realization that, look, if the next four years are just like this one, this can look like a a very different country than what it looks now. And I think we really need to keep that in mind. Um, Sorry to end everything on a sobering note. Um, If you do want to feel more positive uh, ending our podcast, um, I did leave the podcast on accident a few times, and I did forget to chime in when no one was talking. So that was pretty fun. Um, But don't forget to vote when our show is still on the air and when we are voting in November. The Apple Podcast link just went up. We are also on Spotify. Shout out to Adrian uh, for uh, doing that, for making sure we are giving you guys multiple ways to listen. Um, I am your host, Jordan Smart. Don't forget to respect me. Um, we are so glad to have uh, listed <laughs> and learned on this podcast. Guys, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye vote for biden vote for biden wear a mask
1: vote for biden yeah y'all y'all were trolling me about wearing a mask like eight (laughs) weeks ago what's up now